you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, April 5th, 2021. Your Baltimore Orioles are a perfect 3-0 and in first place in the American League East. And this is, of course, the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and on today's episode, we're going to break down all the great things we saw from Fenway Park over the weekend to open up the 2021 Major League Baseball season with the Orioles sweeping the Red Sox. Basically couldn't have gone any better than it did this weekend for the O's, and seeing those fan graphs playoff chances for the O's, uh, there is a chance there now. It is above 0.0%. So we're going to give our three big takeaways from the weekend for the Orioles involving Cedric Mullins, what he did at the plate, the pitching as a whole, and who might be the answer at second base for the Orioles. That's all coming up. We will also take a look at tonight's Orioles-Yankees game at Yankee Stadium and also talk about what's coming up this week on the pod. But that is all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order of those delicious protein bars over at BuiltBar.com. So today on the podcast are three big takeaways from the Orioles sweep over the Red Sox. And you can expect episodes like this on most Mondays here on the pod when we return from the weekend. Mostly going to give you three big takeaways from each of these weekend series throughout this full 162 game season. So we start here with takeaway number one from the weekend. And that is that Cedric Mullins looks really, really good as just a left-handed hitter and really, really good as the Orioles answer in the leadoff spot in their lineup. If you didn't catch any of the Orioles baseball this weekend, probably the biggest thing you missed was the performance of Cedric Mullins. And, you know, we know how it's gone for Cedric. You know, he came up in 2018 and was being tabbed as the replacement for Adam Jones. You know, even late in that season was playing center and had moved Adam Jones to right field in Jones's final month as an Oriole. And then Cedric Mullins came up, you know, in 2019 once again, couldn't hit, was demoted to AAA, finished that 2019 season in AA buoy, not where he wanted to be. Comes back up in 2020 in the shortened season, couldn't hit, gets sent back down to the alternate site, had only one hit, and I think was a one for 20 with a bunt single before he got sent down. Kind of fixed things at the alternate site in buoy, came back up and was somewhat productive at the end of last season. But of course, this offseason, he decided no more switch hitting. He was terrible from the right side anyway, becomes a left-handed hitter, and man, has it paid off. Had a wonderful spring, and this is things you like to see. You know, sometimes spring training stats don't mean anything. Other times, they can show, you know, what a guy can, you know, produce early in the season as well. These spring training stats have bled into the season for Cedric Mullins. In the three games, he started all three games in center field, all three in the leadoff spot for the Orioles. He goes 9 for 13 at the dish. Let me say that again. 9 for 13 at the dish with six singles, three doubles, a walk, only struck out once, and scored four runs for the Orioles. Did not have an RBI, but did score a lot of runs and was kind of robbed uh, of an RBI when he should have had at least one and probably two on a single he had on a weird trap play in Game 3 on Sunday. But Sunday was the big day for Cedric Mullins as well. 5-for-5 with three doubles, a walk, and three runs scored. He was the first Oriole ever to go 5-for-5 with three doubles in one game, and just the sixth player ever in baseball to go 5-for-5 with three doubles in the same game. And now, of course, you know, one of the... 
issues, drawbacks with him, you know, going to just lefty is how would he hit against left-handed pitchers because he had never really hit lefty on lefty. He'd always been on the right side, and he was about a career 145 hitter from the right side, so it wasn't going well against lefties, but this is a different look. He was 3-for-3 against lefties this weekend. 3-for-3 to start the season, lefty-lefty. I think things are going just fine. And we know the defense he brings, a pretty good center fielder, you know, had an outside chance of maybe being a Gold Glove finalist in center field last year. That could happen again this year if he sticks in that spot. And, you know, we went through all of spring saying, where will, you know, he end up in the Oriole outfield? And there were a lot of questions And, you know, it turned out that the Orioles really wanted to get Hayes and Mullins into the outfield. You know, we talked about, is there a center field battle between those two? Well, you know, it helped a little bit that DJ Stewart started the season on the IL, which opened up kind of an outfield and a DH slot in this lineup and and on this team, frankly, right now. So that does help. Things might change whenever Stewart returns from the injured list. But at the moment, it allowed the Orioles to get Hayes and Mullins into the lineup in every game. They were able to start Mullins in center, start Hayes in left, and then you know you don't have to worry about Mountcastle's defense in left field because he's DH'd and Trey Mancini played first base. And the other big thing was Anthony Santander was healthy enough to not just start and DH, but he was able to be on the roster and start all three games defensively out at right field as well. So the Orioles had a really good defensive outfield with uh, Hayes, Mullins, and Santander out there in all three games. So Cedric Mullins, you know, he did a great job to kind of grab that center field spot. And on the other side, Austin Hayes, you know, had an okay weekend, not a great start, but he left Sunday's game with an apparent hamstring injury. We do not know the severity of the injury yet as of recording this late Sunday night. But, you know, if he goes on the IL or he has to miss any time, it's just more and more time for Cedric Mullins to really grab that center field spot. And, you know, that's the big takeaway from this weekend is that one of these two guys really went out and grabbed that spot, and that was Cedric Mullins. I mean, You can't have a much more impressive weekend than 9-for-13, finishing it with a 5-for-5 day with three doubles. But that's what Mullins did. His swing looked really, really good. You know, there used to be a lot of swing and miss in his game. That was not there. He made a lot of good contact, had a couple of infield hits as well, showing off the speed. We know he has played a good center field defensively as well for the Orioles. He could be the option, and he could be the answer for the Orioles in center field. And we'll see, you know, what this Austin Hayes injury might mean. But at this point... I'm sticking with Cedric Mullins. I think we learned is the number one thing we learned that Cedric Mullins is much better as a left-handed hitter. And frankly, he's trying to take this center field job as his own. And just, I mean, couldn't happen to a better guy in Cedric Mullins. I mean, such a great clubhouse guy, such a great competitor, uh, you know, very humble guy as well. Uh, you know, wasn't a, a top draft pick, had to make his way through the system and then, you know, got some praise and has gone through a lot, you know, with, with the struggles he's had and to, you know, still be, in this position for Mullins where he is taking over this center field role. Just just awesome to see this weekend. Can't wait to, you know, I'm sitting here talking about it Sunday night. Can't wait for this game to start Monday to see him back out there, you know, patrolling center in Yankee Stadium and to, to keep watching him hit. But our second takeaway is going to come up after the break. We flip from hitting to pitching. And, you know, you could single out one, two, three different pitchers who had a great weekend. But frankly, the Orioles in this weekend combined to get these wins. Use nine different pitchers. Frankly, all of them, all of them were great. We'll talk about how good that was to see coming up after this break. Back to the Orioles talk in just a second, but first got to tell you about betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Now, we know you love baseball, but if you love placing a wager on baseball as well, you can do it over at betonline.ag. You can also bet on the NBA and the NHL, which are in full swing. And also, of course, the college basketball national championship game is tonight. The matchup we all wanted between Gonzaga and Baylor. You can go place your bets on that one tonight as well. But it's not just sports that they cover. BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV as well. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and best of all, it's free to sign up. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you're going to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So I'm going to get to our second big takeaway from the weekend about the Orioles sweep over the Red Sox. But first, got to tell you about a new podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is the Locked On Today podcast. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So takeaway number two of the three big takeaways from the Orioles' sweep over the Red Sox this weekend. We get this kind of pitching every weekend from the Orioles. It's going to do just, just fine, not just during the rebuild, but frankly, this will play on a winning team as well. First, want to talk about what the starters did this weekend, because I'm sure there have been weekends and series where it's been this good, but on this kind of stage, you know, to open a season, to set the tone, I can't remember a stretch of three starts that has been this good, even dating back to when the Orioles were good and winning in the mid-2010s. You know, this kind of stretch to start a season on the mound was fantastic. And it all started with John Means, who has shown he's not just the Orioles' ace. He is an ace. And he showed the whole world on Friday because, you know, of course, we talked about it. The game got postponed Thursday. It it got played at 2 o'clock on Friday. It was the only day game in Major League Baseball on Friday because most teams are off the day after opening day. And... Everybody watched John Means because there wasn't another game on until about 6 o'clock. So at 2, everybody tuned into Orioles-Red Sox. They got to see Means dominate. Seven innings, one hit, no runs, five Ks, no walks. 33% called strike and whiff percentage. That is the percentage of his pitches that were either either a called strike or a swing and a miss. A good number is 30% and above. He was at 33. That is a great number for a guy who's not known, you know, particularly as a strikeout pitcher. Means was fantastic. He was keeping, you know, the Red Sox, you know, off balance all day. The fastball, again, it was not the 95, 96 mile per hour fastball we saw in 2020 from John Means. It was the 92, 91, 93 mile per hour fastball that we saw from Means when he was really good and was an all-star in 2019. And that's when he's been at his best. And I think we've learned that for John Means, the 95, 96, while it might be there for him if he rears back and fires, That's not when he's at his best. He needs to ease off a little bit. Jim Palmer talked about it a lot on the broadcast. He's better when he knows he's got to ease off that fastball a little bit. And the 92 to 93 for him is where he thrives. He gets a little two-seam movement, goes away from from the right-handers as well on that fastball. That is where his changeup plays the best because then his changeup is not you know, at 86, 87. His changeup sits at 82, 83 with about a 10-mile-per-hour difference, and it has more movement. His changeup had a lot of movement tailing away to his arm side, away from righties, in towards lefties. That changeup was fantastic. It was an incredible pitch for him. And of course, the changeup was his pitch when he was an all-star in 2019. 
frankly, the fastball was his pitch last year. And, and you know, it worked down the stretch especially, but, you know, he's at his best, John Means is, when he has that changeup working. He had a 40% call strike and whiff percentage on that changeup. That is an incredible number for one pitch, and Means had it all working. Of the 30 changeups he threw, 16 of them were swung at. Eight of those 16 swings were swings and misses. That is honestly an incredible stat, an incredible percentage of the swings to get swing and misses at 50% is just just unreal on that pitch, especially on a changeup, which isn't known for a lot of pitchers as your strikeout pitch, but but Means had it working. And then, you know, the curveball and the slider, you know, he only, only threw two sliders, but he threw them at the right time, but the curveball looked really good. He threw it for a strike. He dazzled. I cannot wait to see him pitch uh, in Game 3 against the Yankees this week again. I mean, he looked like a true ace. And then behind him in that game, you know, he had, he had Tanner Scott come in. Uh, Joe West wasn't great umpiring. Didn't help him, you know, walk two batters, but still got some big strikeouts and got out of the inning. And then Cesar Valdez, you know, pretty easy money for him to get the save to end that first game. Then you go to game two and, and Matt Harvey's out there. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect from Matt Harvey. You know, he, he did well enough this spring to make this roster be the number two starting pitcher. And he was not at John Means level, obviously, in his start on Saturday. But he did enough for the Orioles to win the game. Matt Harvey, four and two thirds. He had two runs on six hits, four Ks and one walk. I mean, you know, the 23% called strike and whiff, not amazing, but not terrible either for Harvey. And, you know, the fastball looked crisp. He wasn't up to that 95-96, but again, he was 92-93, which is a little better than he's been, you know, over the last couple of years, his really bad years in KC and in Anaheim. And the breaking ball looked good. He had good control over it. And, you know, he didn't get as deep into the game probably as he wanted, but he kept hitters off balance. And frankly, you know, you'd like him to get through five or six and he'll probably get built up to do that later. But if he can go, you know, say he gets one more out, say, you know, it would have been a five innings, two runs for Matt Harvey. From what he's been the last couple of years, the Orioles will take five innings, two runs for Matt Harvey every single time he goes out there this season as they groom the younger guys around him to be more reliable pitchers. And he becomes kind of the veteran guy they rely on for five or six solid innings out there. The O's will take that every time this year. And, you know, he had to leave after four and two thirds, left in a little bit of a jam. But then who comes in? Adam Pletko who the Orioles just traded for from Cleveland, you know, a couple of days before opening day. He didn't even pitch in a spring training game. He makes the opening day roster. You know, the thought is he'll be a starter at some point, but they're going to start him out of the bullpen. Pletko comes in. He was fantastic for the Orioles out of the bullpen. He gets that out to get out of the jam in the fifth in a 3-2 game. You know, things were getting a little dicey. He throws two and a third scoreless, one hit, no walks, two strikeouts. I mean, couldn't have asked for a better debut from Adam Pletko. He gets out of the out of that fifth inning, then a, a pretty easy sixth and a pretty easy seventh. He was the perfect piggyback off of Matt Harvey to get it to the back end of the Oriole bullpen. Then you had Dylan Tate, who had kind of a rough spring, come in, get a one, two, three, eighth inning, couldn't ask for more. And then, you know, Brandon Hyde said he didn't want to use Cesar Valdez on back-to-back days, and yet he did, brought him back out there for the save. He put the first two guys on with a hit-by-pitch and a walk, but got out of it, got a zero, Orioles won 4-2, to two. and all of a sudden, Cesar Valdez looks like your closer. He had a save in each of the first two games, and, you know, he was throwing the dead fish up there and, and looking great, and all those names were so impressive. So then you get to Game 3, and you send Bruce Zimmerman out there, the lefty, the Baltimore kid, two pretty clean innings to start. Then the Orioles get him 7 in the third. All of a sudden, he comes back out there in the bottom of the third, and he can relax. He's up 10-0 in the third inning. 
and he still puts together a quality start. Six innings, four hits, three earned runs, five Ks, a walk, and he did give up a solo home run to J.D. Martinez, who was really the only guy who who hit him. You know, J.D. Martinez had some big hits on Sunday. That was really the only guy that was able to get to Zimmerman. 34% called strike and whiff percentage, which is even better than Means was. Zimmerman was good. Six innings. Couldn't have asked for, for much more from Bruce Zimmerman. He looked really, really comfortable out there. And then the Orioles turned it over to Cole Salser. You know, it's an 11-3 to game when Zimmerman leaves. Salser comes in, and Cole Salser does his job. Two scoreless innings, three strikeouts. You love to see it from Cole Salser. And then it's 11-3 to in the ninth. You get to get one of the Rule 5 guys in there. Tyler Wells comes in. You know, it wasn't an amazing inning, but he put up a zero and got the final three outs, and the Orioles won the game and, and completed the sweep. And so everybody that pitched, pitched well for the Orioles. And, you know, I know you look throughout the bullpen, we didn't get a chance to see, you know, Wade LeBlanc. We didn't get a chance to see Max Aroller make his debut. I think a big one we didn't get to see this weekend was Paul Fry, who had, you know, such a, a bad spring. We wanted to see how it kind of translated for him into the regular season. We didn't get a chance to see Sean Armstrong because he was put on the paternity list, but it does look like he'll be back uh, for Monday's game. And so there were there were some names who you didn't get to see for the Orioles, but the nine pitchers they used were fantastic. And uh, the, the weekend just could not have gone better for the pitching. And, and the big takeaway is if you, they, they can get that every weekend. You know, they're not going to probably. There's going to be some rough starts, and we know that. There's going to be some rough bullpen appearances. We know that. Still an unexperienced bullpen. But if they can get that every day, you're going to win a lot of games. If you can get that two out of three times in a series, you're going to be in these series. You're not going to be as bad as you think, and you're going to be competitive maybe sooner than you think. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's not, again, it's not going to be this good all the time. But what a fantastic weekend for Orioles pitching. But the final takeaway is coming up next. It has to do with, you know, the question mark at second base. It was somewhat answered for the Orioles over the weekend. We will get to that and then look ahead for this week on the pod coming up after this break. Back to talking Orioles in just a second, but first got to tell you about Built Bar. And it's not just the OG Built Bar. We know about all their flavors, but it's the new flavors as well, including caramel brownie and cookies and cream. And they just had their Built Bar bracket to find out who was the most delicious flavor of Built Bar. But frankly, all these flavors are delicious. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. All of them are soft and easy to chew. It is a great and healthy snack these built bars. They're great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Let's look at the peanut butter bar. It's got 19 grams of protein, just 180 calories, just five grams of sugar and five grams of net carbs. Again, delicious, but good for you as well. So go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order of those delicious protein bars over at BuiltBar.com. So Cedric Mullins had an incredible weekend. The pitching had an incredible weekend. But our final takeaway for the Orioles from the weekend is what happened over at second base. And the takeaway is that we don't know for sure yet, but looks like Rio Ruiz could potentially be the answer for the Orioles at second base. Now, of course, you go back to last week. We mentioned the trade for Adam Pletko from Cleveland. He did great in his debut, but the Orioles had to make a move, and they did something somewhat surprising. They DFA'd Yomer Sanchez, who, you know, we all kind of thought was just kind of penciled in to be the Orioles' starting second baseman, but they DFA'd him, and we knew he wasn't a great hitter, but he was a good glove, but it seemed like the Orioles had seen him enough in spring training to know that, you know what, we don't like the bat and we think that there is not as big of a difference between his glove and the gloves of, you know, Ruiz, Arias, and Valeca 
to the point where, you know, it's okay to have a bad bat like Sanchez, and they would rather have the Ruiz, Arias, or Valeca bat in there over the Yomer Sanchez bat. So they DFA him, and we don't really know who's going to be at second. You know, it, it allowed Ramon Arias to make the team. If Yomer Sanchez is there, Arias probably starts the year, you know, on the taxi squad slash at the alternate site. But, you know, because he's gone, Arias at least makes it. And, you know, there was a thought that, that he could probably be the starting second baseman on opening day. But, you know, the Orioles go with Rio Ruiz. They started him at second for the final two spring training games. We know they had been working him out at second base on the backfields as well. And, you know, they get the left-handed bat in there against the three right-handers that the Red Sox started over the weekend in Eovaldi, Hauk, and Garrett Richards. And it worked out for the Orioles, at least defensively. You know, at the plate, he wasn't great. He had a 2-for-12, worked a couple of walks, did strike out five times, didn't look amazing, drew a walk on opening day, uh, ended up having a couple of singles in the 11-3 to win on Sunday, but, you know, still needs some work with the bat. But, you know, we, we know kind of what Rio's bat is at this point. We, we expect that kind of numbers, maybe a little bit better, but we know what we're going to get from Rio Ruiz at the plate. What we didn't know is what he would look like at second because we had kind of thought in 2019 that he was a solid third-base defender, but, you know, he just missed some easy plays, missed some easy throws over at third defensively in 2020, and it really shook the confidence on Rio defensively. So now the question is, now he's going to a new position in the infield. Could that be an issue? But what we saw with Rio Ruiz at second base is that the shorter throw really, really helps him because I think some of the throws were some of his issue. And the fact that, you know, you can be a little rangier at second base. Third base is more about reaction time, you know, a quick first step, making that initial first move. Second base, you have a little bit more time to think. It's a shorter throw, but you have more time to react. There's much more, you know, lateral movement involved at second base. You can be a little bit more rangy. And, you know, Rio Ruiz have, has a history of, of coming up as a shortstop, and I think that helped him at second base this weekend. We saw two... Jose Iglesias-like. I mean, I saw people comparing it to Jose Iglesias kind of over-the-shoulder catches running out into the outfield on, you know, shallow pop flies that are kind of tweeners between the outfielders and the infielders. Rio made two pretty incredible catches on opening day, and, you know, they were they were great plays in which, you know, the, the game might kind of change if either of those drop. You know, the Red Sox would have had a couple guys on in each of those situations, and then he made a really, really good diving stop, moving to his left, and the hole got up and, and threw a guy out for a big out on opening day as well. Made some really, really key plays at second, and he showed me at least that not only can he play second, I think with his skill set, his body, you know, his strengths and weaknesses on the field, he might actually fit better at second base than he does at third. And again, I know it's only three games versus, you know, a much, much, much larger sample size than we've seen of him at third base in major league games. But from the small sample size we saw, he might actually be more comfortable at second defensively. And so this promotes a kind of an interesting situation for the Orioles because, you know, we thought they didn't have, you know, a guy who was a definite second baseman, you know, Valeca, utility guy, Arias more of a shortstop who can play second, and, and Ruiz was a third baseman. But now we might start to look at Rio Ruiz, potentially if things goes well, as a second baseman, which makes the move to DFA Sanchez make a whole lot more sense for the Orioles, and gives the O's, A, a spot to, you know, keep Rio on the team, and B, a bigger sample size for him to you know, prove himself because, you know, some people kind of cast him off, especially when the Orioles signed Michael Franco. And, you know, they really cast Rio off, said, all right, there's your third baseman. He's, you know, a little bit worse defensively, but he's a much better hitter than Rio, and he's a much more established major league veteran. Must be it for Rio Ruiz, you know, with Sanchez at second. But now you move Rio over to second. You know, I don't know if he'll play against lefties. You know, we will see Monday night as, you know, Jordan Montgomery, the left-hander, will start for the Yankees. I would expect 
Uh, we'll see how the injuries work out, but I would expect probably Pat Vileka to be in there as a starter in the lineup uh, because he's a righty who hits lefties very well, and we could see Vileka and Arias in the lineup. Could see Arias and Vileka both get their first starts. You know, maybe Vileka in the outfield if Austin Hayes is injured, uh, and maybe Arias starting at second base, and maybe Rio's out of there against the lefties this year, but obviously you see more righties than lefties, and maybe Rio, you know, whenever there's a righty in there, he's the starting second baseman. And again, you know, Pat Faleka might be needed in the outfield because, you know, we talked about the Austin Hayes hamstring injury. You know, how is that going to affect this team? We'll see what kind of roster moves they do. Again, recording this on Sunday night, so by the time you listen to this, you know, they could have made the moves already. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if Hayes is out for an extended amount of time or makes any kind of IL stint, what they kind of do with the outfield. Vileka came in and played left field for the majority of Sunday's game after Hayes went out with the injury, but I don't think the Orioles want him out there long term, so I would expect them to add an outfielder, whether it be a Stevie Wilkerson or Yusniel Diaz or Ryan McKenna, one of those three guys, to the roster for the time being if Hayes does have to go on the IL, so we'll see how that affects the playing time for Vileka and those guys, but I think Rio's going to be in there at second at the very least when there's a right-hander on the mound, and the other thing was, you know, late in the games over the weekend, especially in the close games Friday and Saturday in the 8th and ninth innings, the Orioles put Arias at second base defensively, actually moved Rio over to third, and they took Michael Franco out of the game, who you know is still a little bit shaky defensively in third base, did have some, some big hits this weekend in his Orioles debut, but you'd still rather have Rio over there, and you can still do that, move him to third, and put Arias at second base defensively. So it gives him a little bit of versatility as well. And to be honest, I just I liked what I saw from Rio Ruiz this weekend, and I think he's going to stick at second base more than we think, and I think it's going to give him a little more of a shot. But those are your three big takeaways from the Orioles weekend, and just, man, what a weekend it was. They sweep the Red Sox. They're in first place in the AL East. We love winning, and we know the Orioles aren't going to go 162-0. We know they're not going to end the season in first place, but it's nice to start the season well and show people that really, you know, this Red Sox team, talent-wise, is not that much better than the Orioles, to be honest, and I think you know, without Eduardo Rodriguez and without Chris Sale, the two top starters that they don't have right now, the Orioles have a much better pitching staff than the Red Sox. I think no matter what kind of full strength each team is at, the Orioles have a better bullpen than the Red Sox. And we saw that this weekend, and it's it's kind of nice to get that validation and, and nice to show that to people who have basically said, you know, the Orioles are a terrible team. There's no talent here, no reason watching them. Well, they just swept a Red Sox team uh, and looked like the much, much better team, frankly, in all three games. But uh, that's nice, but the Orioles, next up, it's the Yankees. We'll talk about that in one second, but first, got to tell you about another podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That is the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to give you an advantage in your leagues. That's Locked On Fantasy Baseball. It's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Follow Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So coming up tonight, if you're listening to this on time, the Orioles start a three-game series in the Bronx against the New York Yankees. Yankees coming off a 1-2 and two weekend at home against the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays took games one and three of that series. Three fairly, really fairly low-scoring games between those two Toronto and, and Yankees high-powered offenses so far. The Yankees have kind of struggled offensively so far. You know, they got a good start from Garrett Cole but lost game one. We will see what the Yankees can do. I guess we'll, we'll talk about the whole series, you know, all week as the games go on. But 
Tonight's game is Jorge Lopez. He will get the start for the Orioles, making his 2020-2021 debut. And Jordan Montgomery will go for the Yankees. The left-hander is out there. You know, he's uh, given the Orioles some fits in the past. We'll see the Orioles probably load up on the righties in the lineup, and uh, we'll see how it goes for the O's. 6.35 p.m. Eastern time start on Masson to watch that one. And then we will be back with you tomorrow here on the pod. It is a Mailbag Tuesday episode tomorrow. If you want to get in your questions or comments for the Orioles to get them answered on the show, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or tweet me at Connor Newcomb underscore or tweet the podcast account at LockedOnOrioles or you can DM either of those accounts. The DMs are open to get those questions in for, again, a Mailbag Tuesday episode that is coming up tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.